Hello fellow Earthlings, it's Benny McKay here from Local Heroes Podcast, checking in. So, it's been a little while, I've been offline for a little minute, so I'm not going to bore you with the details of why I've been offline, other than the last couple potties that I did, the, the audio quality was less than what I, I just didn't, I wasn't happy with the audio quality, so I went out and bought myself some new podcasting equipment bought myself a, a zoom recorder audio recorder so i'm loving my new recorder and so yeah I've, I've just been offline for a bit we've been up here in far north queensland catching up with family and friends having a great time catching up with everyone so i've just been a bit slack on the old podcast for a minute but i'm back on track and the ball is rolling again so my first cab off the rank for the new year i guess my first one for 2019 is with Will and Bess from Topaz Sustainable Timbers. So I found these guys on the social media and they interest me for a number of reasons. One of which is being they're a young couple that are having a crack at a small business. So I went up to visit them in Lake Eacham, just outside of Lake Eacham. They've got a beautiful warehouse up there and it's just it's a beautiful setup where they are it's it's a really nice environment it's a really grassroots business that they're doing also a sustainable timber business which is definitely up my alley and and of interest to me and their story and their narrative is is a very interesting one so yeah i had a great chat with will and bess I'm just going to read a little bit of an excerpt from their website about what they do so I don't bumble around trying to explain this all to you. Located up in North Queensland, a small plantation growing native Australian rainforest timbers adjacent to Warunurin National Park, part of the Wet Tropics World Heritage Area. Our plantation is situated on a former dairy farm that we have revegetated for purpose of timber production, but also promoting habitat for native plants and animals. There is some remnant forest, but a large amount was cleared in the 1930s for dairy, now a struggling industry in the region. Growing a plantation of mixed rainforest species that are highly desirable cabinet timbers has delivered both a home for animals and a wonderful selection of timbers. What they're doing on their property, they've planted over 70,000 trees now over the last decades. They're revegetating this property and getting cassowaries and, and animals back in the area, which is awesome. But they're also got a you know a, a successful business where they're harvesting selective sort of timbers and beautiful, beautiful timbers that they're harvesting. You know, some very rare species that are that are you know that are becoming rare and rarer to get a hold of. And they're out there replanting trees and also creating an awesome business out of a sustainable resource. So a really cool chat with, with Will and Bess. Had a great time up there meeting them and also went up for a for a nice swim at Lake Eacham. So it's a beautiful crater lake up there on the Atherton Tablelands. I recommend if you're ever in the area and you're, you're looking for some beautiful hardwood, definitely get up there and visit Topaz Sustainable Timbers and suss it out, get yourself an awesome piece of hardwood timber and know that you're supporting a local business and also a business that's doing things sustainably so just before i get jumping into the podcast i also want to just do a quick shout out to some of me listeners some people that have been giving me some feedback on the podcast so my mate borley's been um 
I know you've been listening in and, and giving us some positive feedback. Leifu as well, shout-outs to Leifu for, for, you know, taking a listen and giving us some feedback. And uh, Steve Braze as well, shout-outs to all you boys. You guys have been giving me some real positive support, and I appreciate the feedback. Also, my boy Jasper as well. Jasper, thanks for listening in. I've been getting a, a pretty good following. If there's anyone else that I that I that is listening and that you know that, that I don't know, jump on the Resin Chiefs. My Instagram handle is Resin Chiefs. Jump on there, click us a DM, give us some feedback, uh, tell us you know what you think. You know, obviously it's a work in progress. I'm I'm pretty fresh to all this shit. So um, the more feedback, the better. You know, even give us some direction of, of who you think it'd be good for me to have a yarn with. But also just flick us a DM and I'll give you a shout out on the podcast because I appreciate the support and I also appreciate the feedback. So yeah, we're going to jump straight into this one, guys. Thanks heaps for, for listening and hope you enjoy this one. Cheers. Bess from Topaz Sustainable Timbers. Welcome to Local Heroes Podcast, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me in your beautiful shed here. I walked in and there's just a beautiful fragrant smell of, of timber in your main shed there. Was it camphor laurel? That Was that really sort of fragrant sort of smell? Yeah, so it's a very strong smell. It's not a native species. But we do focus on native rainforest species for North Queensland. But then we also do salvage a lot of timber as well. So that particular one came out of a friend's paddock. Camphor yeah. laurels are declared weed, so it's beautiful timber and um, good to get rid of it. Yeah, yeah. And it does. It comes up nice with the like the resin infills and that sort of stuff with a lot of the con- contemporary mm. timber designs as well. I think a lot of people are utilising it for that reason. Yeah. It's yeah. Well, we've done, we've done a few epoxy tables with it, and it really comes to life. Like it's you see deep shimmers in it and in the fiddleback and. Plenty yeah. of character. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm. That's what we're all about. <laughs> yeah, cool. So, um, yeah, awesome to be here, guys. And, yeah, we've been sort of chatting back and forth and I've been admiring your guys' work from a distance, you know, from the social media platform. You guys have been sort of sharing some really cool some cool pictures and I, I think that's the beautiful thing about uh, social media these days is people sort of being sort of hooked up and connected throughout the world. Yeah. And... Um, it's funny, you guys are actually from somewhere else and you've moved to the Tablelands and I grew up just down the road in Gordonvale and now I live down the Sunshine Coast, so it's, it's cool to sort of cross paths, you know, and I guess without the without sort of Instagram or something, I probably would have never met you. Um, so, yeah, it's a cool thing, I think, about social media and what you were just saying too about being able to sell timber to the other side of the planet. You can, you can create a market, not just locally, but also internationally for, for people to be able to purchase your product uh, locally which is, is, is quite cool it's, it's a really interesting time to be in business and starting a small business and doing something sustainable and it looks like you guys are ticking a lot of boxes and and just by having a look around this, this shed and seeing some beautiful timbers that you guys are, um, are soaring and, and working on and the furniture that you guys are producing a lot of boxes so um yeah, I guess you were just speaking just before about starting in economics and um, where'd you end up going from economics and then sort of ending up where we are now? What was the sort of path? 
Well, I think it all ties in like that. Like a lot of the economic stuff is talking about how to create, you know, markets and develop new industries. And so my major is on business innovation, and my interest is in renewable kind of uh, industries. So that's what got me into the sort of forestry sector. And um, you know, now we're actually leading by example that you know it can be done. I didn't know if it could be, but I thought, oh, the best way to give it a go is is to actually get out there and do it. No, the other way was to sit down and do a PhD and theorise about it. But um, I think the biggest thing is to get out there and take action and you know do something you really enjoy because then you can show others and you can share that with you know on social media and things like that. Like that's a such an amazing tool for sharing your ideas and it's a great tool for promotion as well but you know you jump on instagram and you can see what's trending in you know like america does that are quite influential in sort of the fashions and things and you know you can see what's happening and then you can follow various people and they follow you back and you know it's, it's kind of a big community yeah i found that in, even in the surfboard industry like being able to hook up with guys that are doing really cool stuff and trade emails and communications and ask questions and a lot of these guys that have been in the industry for a long time are very forthcoming with sharing information and you know you can learn really quickly you can youtube things you know so there's a lot of a lot of information sometimes it can be a lot of negative information especially with like politically and all the shit that's going on but if you dig a bit deeper and you, you find those things that you're passionate about you can also learn very quickly how to how to develop whether it's working on timber or if you want to learn to play guitar or make surfboards or whatever it is you want to do. Yeah. It's really cool that we are living in a time that's there's a, there's a lot of opportunity to learn and to and to communicate and interact with people all over the planet for sure. Yeah, and the thing is you can ask an expert on there, it's amazing who does get back to you like you Yeah, yeah sometimes you get blown and, out, hey. Yeah. Just throw it out into the ether and see what happens. Yeah, you're just like, oh, I'm just this tiny guy in Australia. Can't believe I've taken the time to get back to you. But, you know, I think it's a it's a real sharing kind of spirit and I hope that everyone tries to do that. I was having a sort of look in your other shed. I know you're saying like native species is what you guys sort of specialise in. So what kind of different sort of varieties of species of timber do you guys sort of come across throughout your sort of day, week, year? What's your sort of bread and butter timbers that you guys are collecting and how do you go about sort of sourcing and collecting sustainable timbers? Yeah, so we've got our own plantation and some of that stuff is ready to harvest. A lot of it is smaller, but then we also, there's other friends that have plantations in the region and we salvage a lot of urban trees as well, which are generally coming off out of people's private backyards and like we've got in touch with a lot of the tree loppers and things and instead of them ending up at the dump or in being burnt or chipped, you know, we can actually turn them into a real product and that carbon is saved and, you know, everyone's, I think, at first they were quite sceptical about it and, you know, thought, oh, just someone else is going to humbug us and things. But if you can coordinate the logistics and that can be a bit of a nightmare, having trucks on time and getting everything you know ready to take the logs away from them at the time of that they're getting cut down but yeah we've been able to 
divert a huge amount of waste Incredible. and turn it into a real nice product. Well, even where, where I am on the sunny coast, like even people like literally across the road from me cutting down beautiful timber and and just you know turn it into wood chip, put it in their garden. Yeah. Whereas you know I in the same instance, and I've spoken about this a few times on my podcast, cut down a couple big trees that were like literally essentially like right on top of my house you know where it was it was a safety sort of issue remove those trees and build a beautiful cabin in my backyard you know and that feeling of coming from construction and and carpentry and seeing where timbers come from and a lot of the unsustainable practices that happen in the in the construction industry what a good feeling it is to actually be able to manufacture something and do something that's out of your own yard that's sustainable that's you know carbon neutral and just there's just such a joy that comes from that you know and, and, you know, just seeing the amount of waste in the construction industry, you know, 10% of waste comes off a, you know, you've got a million dollar job site, you get 10% of it's allowed for waste that just gets thrown out, you know. So yeah, I'm, like crazy. Little, I'm, I'm like a little, you know, I'm like a little hoarder that's collecting all these little off bits and pieces because it's amazing the, the amount of things that you can create and build with leftovers, you know, or, or from like you said, from somebody's private backyard where a beautiful slab of timber could have got uh, wood chipped or, or thrown away. Yeah. We've done quite a few milling jobs for people so they can specifically mill the timber to their specs for their house for an eco-builds and even for a tiny home coming up. So that's really great because people have logs that they want to use and then we can mill it to the exact dimensions that they need. But I think the salvaging from the tree lockers has just been so fantastic because it's such an amazing resource, these beautiful trees, especially in part of Queensland where we have these species that don't grow anywhere else. And to see them being chipped and going to landfill because there's more chip than there is demand for chip is pretty heartbreaking. So for us, it's just really fantastic to see that be used again. Yeah, that's great. Because trees that big aren't that frequent anymore after we've had so much deforestation up here. We just don't get big trees anymore. So. There are, like the trees near people's houses, like you mentioned, like the safety factor, and that's a, a real thing with the cyclone. So people do have to remove them before a cyclone or, you know, but they can feel good that it's actually going to be used instead of being put into chip. And, you know, they can have, you know, quite frequently they'll ask us to mill it. They'll want to keep the timber because that tree has been in their backyard for generations and now it's got sick and, you know, it might have been their grandfather's tree. So then we can come in and... Utilize turn it. it into slabs for them or something and yeah, then it's awesome. they get a beautiful dining table or a kitchen or renovate their house and that that history remains part of their family yeah and i think there's definitely a as we mentioned before we kicked the podcast off is that um more of a movement towards sustainable timber and sustainably sourced timber and are you guys seeing that within your business that people are sort of being more turned on to getting something that that actually is sort of ethically sourced it's you know because i think like 10 or 15 years ago or even you know in the in the last decades a lot of timbers coming from new guinea yeah it's sort of being clear felled we don't know, you don't know where it's coming from. It's un, unsustainably sourced. It might be coming from Indonesia or somewhere. And there's a lot of furniture, and probably still is a lot of furniture coming from over there. Yeah. Oh, there's and a huge so, amount. And we get constant inquiries if we will, you know, sort of coordinate operations in New Guinea or Solomon Islands and Indonesia. And like, no one, the, the villagers just get fucked over over there. Like, they, these companies come in, they're all 
multinationals from overseas and they don't care about what happens to the community. They say that they're going to get well paid. Whoever does the logging, they get well paid. And But these big companies, they do, they do very well out of it. But on the ground, they don't see anything. And it's just complete destruction. I don't know that from experience. I haven't actually been <laughs> taken up any of these contracts, but I've been over there and, and seen what has been happening. And... Um, yeah, yeah I don't know how. Yeah. I mean, even even like Indonesia, and there's there's just so much falling for like palm oil plantations. Yeah, and, it's crazy. You know these big mines and stuff, and it's just like you said, if you're buying a table or something that's from Indonesia, you don't know what the history of that or the story of that timber is. Whereas, mm. if you know, if I'm a, a customer and I'm coming to see you guys, you know where that timber's come from. Everything. It's got a story. You know, it's got it's got a, a character and a history and it, and it grew somewhere and, and they know that it's grown ethically and sustainably. And I think people are becoming more and more conscious and aware of that. And that's you know. where I think that social media is, is amazing. I know there are a lot of negative aspects of it, but it does create this complete transparency. You know, at the moment we're seeing quite a bit of negative stuff around the world, but at the same time we're, we're finding out what really ha- has happened and what is happening so quickly that you can't cover up this kind of behaviour and that's where I hope yeah with the forestry because a huge amount of bad stuff still happens like in you know New Guinea and Solomon Islands Indonesia South America and and I think as well you know living in a, a rich country it really is our job as consumers to ask questions and to really think about where things are coming from because there's a lot of issues in the world like social, environmental, they're just getting worse and worse and I think when we're in you know, a position of privilege where we do have time to ask those questions and money, it's just so important, so important. Yeah, and I think even just the notion of like, I think people are sort of being turned on to the idea of if I buy this, say, outdoor table, it might have like a three-year warranty or something and then it's fucked and then I throw it away. Yeah. Whereas people, I guess, are getting more turned on to buying quality. If I buy it once, I'm going to have it for the rest of my life and it's just something that's going to last and be something that's unique and and have, you know, some character and quality. It's got a story, you know. There's there's an experience that comes with it as well. I Um, hope we get back to that because mm. that's what it was like, Mm. you know, in our our grandparents' generation. Mm. Things were made to last Mm. and something that we're really passionate about is just not producing more random crap mm. <laughs> that's going to last Yeah, like craftsmanship, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, that's And like the handmade products, they are more expensive, but that's because so many hours are poured into them and like the in the reality, like they're so cheap in terms of the labour hours that get put into those products and that's where the quality comes from. Well, that's no, the like, thing, you know, that it's a kind of false economy. If you say, I'm going to buy that table for 800 bucks and it's, you know, made in Indo or something and all the joints on it are shit and it's not going to last. And then they've got to go and rebuy that table in whatever, five years, 10 years. So then all of a sudden, yeah, you every five years, beef. you're buying a fucking new table. Yeah. yeah. You've, you've already done yourself better just going and buying one good one, you know. That's right. And something that, you know, you can pass down through your family or, no, sure, trends and fashions change, but... You know, if you buy a well-made, timeless piece, it's you know something beautiful that you can keep. Mm. It's almost like you know you reflect back on those really retro kind of fifties and sixties pieces, 
and they were well made, handcrafted, and they're worth more than what they were back then, and yeah. they're sort of collector's items. And I kind of see that's what is is a similar kind of scenario that's happening now. Is that because you know obviously the Chinese made stuff isn't going to be like worth more in the future, but definitely the handcrafted stuff it holds its value. You know, you might spend a, a thousand bucks or a couple of grand, maybe more, on a on a nice piece. But it's going to hold its value, you know, and if, if anything, be worth more in the future, you know, because it is a piece of a unique timber and a lot of these, these species are getting rarer and rarer, you know, yeah. as, as you guys would know. Yeah, and you get a lot more of a story and, you know, something you can be f- feel proud of as well. Yeah, the, the ethical and moral sort of value that comes with it. Yeah. So, so what are you guys, um, what species are, are you guys mostly milling and what trees? Because I was actually at the local sort of diner on the corner coming in. I think, it, uh, what's the name of it? Just Altitude. Oh, Altitude, Altitude Cafe, yeah. there was yeah. A, a bunch of your, was that your guys' timber that's yeah. all in there? Yeah, some oh, of it resin is. Resin work and... Oh, there's some resin work in there. That's um, Red Cedar. That's by another local, Russell Rankin, I think. Okay. And we've got boards and stuff in there for sale. Mm, but I was just reading a little, there was a little sort of write up there. Yeah, and you guys yeah. have planted 60,000 trees, is that Yeah, is that we're, we're actually, um, closer to 70,000 trees now. So Is that on your, your specific property yet? Yeah. So yeah. how much space have you got in that and what, and what species are you planting? Well, we've got um, the main, so the plant has been happening over 20 years, Will's family. He's been around the whole time. I've been around for 10 years. But we we almost have no space left. So our property is 360 acres and about 80% of it was forested or regrowing when I bought it and it was an old dairy farm and since then we've just been revegetating that last 20% that was all cleared. By the middle of next year we think that we'll probably be, we've filled it all in um, which will be which will be nice. But It'll probably be up to about 85,000. Yeah by then and it's you know for us like I'm an environmental scientist biologist and Will's parents have worked in that field as well and we're really passionate about nature and creating habitats and we've now been able to fill in that property and you know create more beautiful rainforest habitat and that's kind of what we're really passionate about at the end of the day you know the timber is an aspect of that property that means that we can get a bit more um, funding to keep planting more trees and things (laughs) yeah and that's where that you know it's generating profit to put back into the land and do a good thing. But at the end of the day, money is what makes the world go around and you do need to pay your bills and you do need to eat food. So that's where we want to be able to bring in the sort of like conservation aspect, but then also show that, yeah, you can can make money out of, you know, good land management as well. So um, let's, let's say that I've got a little bit of land, which I do, I've got like an acre. I got a, a, a beautiful property that was already got a lot of existing sort of trees on it. What would you sort of recommend uh, if I was to look into sort of plant out some natives? And I do have the desire to be able to plant some trees and in 20 years maybe be able to fell one or two and, and be able to use them for furniture and that sort of thing. So what sort of species would you guys recommend? Well, depends where I'm not familiar exactly where your property is and that um, that's a really important thing is to find species that are local to that area. There's a lot of um, silky oaks. Um, yeah, so if you can grow silky area. oak, because that's you know a high value species. So if you've got a small amount of land and 
you know, I wouldn't recommend going planting radiata pine or something which is super cheap to buy from Bunnings. Mm. Plant something that is unique and a high value cabinet timber. So if you can grow silky oak, and we're really lucky on our property, we uh, silky oaks do really well in Queensland maple. And um, in a lot of areas, people have trouble growing those to large trees. But yeah, we're fortunate enough that they grow really well. You know, and then you can plant red cedar, red cedars amongst if you've already got some established trees because they like a bit of uh, shade and protection. Um, okay, so they don't, they don't actually like the sort of open, they, they sort of grow well in a little bit of uh, canopy and that sort of thing? Well, yeah, they just need a bit of protection because of uh, there's a tip moth that gets in and basically stunts their growth while they're young, makes them sick and kills them. But if you get past that stage and they get up to 10, 15 metres high, then they can break through the canopy and grow into a large tree. Uh, but you're looking at probably 50 years before you have a, a harvestable log. Mm-hmm. You know, the other important thing I think is to have a mixed uh, plantation. So our plantations are all, there's no same tree next to each other, which, yeah, sure is hard for a um, maybe a management and harvesting perspective, but because we harvest in such small groups, that replicates the rainforest as well and there's been a lot of issues where if you try to grow say 100 acres of just red cedar they'll all pretty much get sick and die so yeah the trees themselves don't like that um, no because they're a rainforest tree they like that kind of diversity and and you don't get that um the rainforest habitat benefit without the diversity and here where we are in final queensland this tiny little patch of rainforest here is some of the most diverse vegetation in all of australia so we have thousands of tree species here so you know you've got to plant to your environment and that's why we have to have so much diversity in the plantings here but you can also plant some uh, pioneer sort of species like acacias so whether you've got northern blackwood or well, acacia melanoxylum, Tasmanian blackwood, grows up here as well. And the acacias are nitrogen-fixing, so help improve your soil health. Okay. And they do grow quicker than, say, like a red cedar or silky oak. And So you can put those in, create some shading, and um, then harvest those. And then that will, once they're gone, that'll allow more light to, for the next trees to come up. And then if you're cutting a few trees down in one area, plant back in there and those trees will grow faster than if it's in a paddock setting because they've got an opening in the canopy and they'll head straight for the light. So you'll get a naturally straight trunk instead of a, um, a branch trunk where you have to do pruning and things. So that's why I think it's a huge benefit of uh, mixed species plantation and then doing that group selection harvesting where, because then in reality, like the, your harvest down the track Maybe not the first rotation, but like the second and third will be they'll be much better timber because you haven't had to prune and you reduce your costs of pruning. Like pruning takes a huge amount of time. So that is that they're firing up and they're, they're not going to start sort of throwing branches until they get into the canopy. Is that is that yeah, the reasoning just, behind that? They're just going straight for the light. Yeah, that's really good. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. it's awesome. And that's why rain like old growth timber is the best because that's what happens in the forest. The tree falls down. That and there's seedlings sitting there waiting to go and they just fire up and they go straight to the canopy. Whereas in a plantation, you've got to, you've got to prune to do that. So if you, you know, grow a big plantation and then cut them all down, then you're back at 
the paddock kind of start again. So what's your um like your sort of your earliest time that you can sort of start felling? Is it like a is it five, ten years, fifteen years with some trees or it's probably about twelve years. So with Pondong and that's another nice fast pioneer species. And if you're in sort of southeast Queensland, that's a good species as well. Fast growing good. And is it the Pondong it, it throws a berry too, doesn't it? So your your wildlife probably likes that one, is that correct? Yeah, so yeah. Mm. Yeah, you can eat that. It tastes a bit sour, but mm. yeah, the native animals really love it. Mm. And that's what we've seen on our place is a huge amount of cassowaries have started coming and they come up to the house and come yeah, onto the cool. veranda and things. Yeah, we never used to see them, but because in the plantations there are so many fruiting rainforest species that they just love it. Yeah, that's fascinating. So you're actually seeing, you're seeing like money growing trees essentially, but you're also seeing the biodiversity, you're seeing animals and, and native species coming back into the area as well. So you guys, are, it must yeah. be just so exciting and, and joyful to sort of see that development. Yeah, yeah to see happening. when we saw the first cassowaries coming back and um, seeing them enjoying the plantations and eating the fruits, like that's a, that was a pretty special moment. And when we say plantation, like our oldest plantings just look like rainforests, like you know, there's ferns coming up through them, there's vines, there's fungi, there's, you know, so much happening. It's, it's really, it's an ecosystem. That's awesome. So when you're planting your trees, what sort of spacings? Do you guys have like a certain spacing or do you have certain trees that have certain spacings or how do you kind of work that? Yeah, so we have different zones. So like in the real sort of plantation areas, it's three by three metres. And then revegetation zones, it's 1.8 by 1.8 metres. And then if it's a uh, area where you're trying to get the get the grass down and get real density in, like maybe on a creek line, then we might go down to one metre by one metre. Yeah. So in those areas, you're not planning to refell to fell that timber. You're more so just regenerating. Yeah. Um, those areas. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you're trying to stabilise the soil and things. That's why you're planting so close. Um, because yeah, in, the, in terms of timber yield, you're going to have a decreased yield if you have trees only a metre apart because they're competing for resources. Yeah. But if you have, yeah, even two by three metres, you need to to thin, choose the trees that you want and then start thinning. Cool. So you mentioned just before we got the podcast kicking off that you grew up in Kakadu. Yeah, so I grew up in an Aboriginal community in Kakadu until I was about seven and then um so yeah so that was sort of spent out on the floodplains hunting and gathering uh, my mom was working with the old indigenous ladies and documenting their um traditional lifestyles and stuff like that so so do you feel like you learn a lot of desire for sustainability from growing up in that environment is that something that you've sort of carried with into your into your adult life do you think like the sustainable practice of, of indigenous kind of collecting and, and gathering and hunting and that sort of thing? Yeah, I think that's had a big impact and just, you know, in terms of our, our harvest strategy and things like that, like that sort of probably is influenced, I, don't know, I haven't thought about it that much really, but, you know, they would always, they would harvest like yams at a particular time of the year and you only take certain amounts so then the next year that there's more yams there or, you know, so that's a real 
you know, a lot of thought went into their how they manage their resources so that you know they're not all depleted because they were living off the land. So mm, essentially, so. you know, they're a nomadic lifestyle, but they're farming, farming the bush, and you've got to know what the the right time to do things and how much you can take and what's going to keep balance. So yeah, I guess our our Western kind of notion of that is a sort of permaculture kind of. Um uh, mentality and when I was over in Mexico I was doing a, pod, a podcast with a guy and we were talking about the sort of ancient um, Mexico cultures and that sort of thing and he was talking about the Cosmo vision was, which was the kind of um, the way that I guess the Mexicas and the Aztec has kind of perceived reality yeah. and I guess in, in Australia it's the dream time you know or it's that um, sort of philosophy or connection with, with the land but it, it's fascinating that you're, you're sort of taking maybe a little bit of that knowledge and, and implementing that into a sort of a contemporary sort of business system. And I think it's just, I just wonder how much better would Australia be and how good would it have been if when white people, when the English came here, if they had have actually taken on board a lot of the sustainable sort of practices, you know? Clearing land and getting rid of timber and putting cows and sheep in and yeah. doing all this, this agricultural stuff. And now like the Murray Darling is, is starving because all these cotton farms and, and a lot of this sort of contemporary uh, sort of implementation of, of monoculture is really kind of suffocating it's, a lot of the environment, hey? Yeah, it's an absolute, I mean, our colonial history is an absolute travesty in Australia. But I think that a lot of our issues that we're facing now are that we have completely lost our connection to nature. and. There's, you know, our society is really at a loss from that. Yeah, it's, um, I hope we've got something in us to figure out how we're going to, you know, solve a lot of the problems that we have. Well, that's yeah. the thing. I think nature has a lot of the solutions. It's mm -hmm. just a matter of engaging back with nature, you know. Yeah, and I think um, we're starting to see a little bit of it. But it's, yeah, it's funny that all these traditional cultures around the world, they had reasons why they harvested a particular crop at a certain time and they grew this other crop in between and you know we're learning all about the soil health and now there's all this sort of in modern western farming practices these things are coming back in it's like oh we've just discovered this new way of doing it and you're like oh well that's actually what they were doing thousands for thousands of years, of years. Yeah. but i suppose at least maybe it's too late but hopefully it's not you know at least we are taking on board some of those things now yeah, and I, I think um, humans, as a as a general populace, we we do things as a at a necessity. You know, that's why we created fire. That's why we created civilizations and that sort of stuff. You know, to, back in the day, it was to to get away from the tigers or or, or whatever. So we, we definitely do things on necessity, and now we've got into such a, a comfortable sort of state within our existence that yeah, I think now the necessity is to actually gravitate back towards a lot of sustainable practices and get away from that monoculture and you know you see it a lot now where people are having you know the chickens in the backyard and they're growing their veggies and it's just out of necessity now it's not something that it's like oh it's kind of cool or whatever it's like no we need to be doing these things to improve the the environment and, and I think it, it's just becoming more and more obvious and that's why I really wanted to come up and talk to you guys because I really feel like you guys are kind of at the epicenter of of highlighting a, a movement, you know? So I think that's just, I think it's awesome what you guys are doing, you know? So. And I think that 
you know, people are addressing this issue now and coming to the realisation that, you know, it's not just hippies and weirdos on the fringe that have been thinking about this. And I've been involved in sort of some of the local, uh, like, chambers of commerce and things, and it's interesting watching the the shift in the mentality of especially some of the old school sort of farmers and things like, oh, we actually we need to change the way we're doing things. We can't just keep pouring superphosphate onto the paddocks to make the grass grow better. And we're blessed with very good soils up here. But even some of those are becoming depleted because people have just been growing grass, pouring their fertiliser on and they've lost their soil health and... Yeah, that's a big thing, hey. And also, like, obviously with the Barrier Reef as well, with the, the monoculture and the sugarcane farms and the banana farms and a lot of those fertilisers that help the fruits and that sort of thing are then, you know, obviously all, a lot of this stuff is grown on floodplain. Yeah. So, you know, obviously all of that's washing out into the reef and there's just this, this really flow-on effect, you know. Yeah. And so even with farming practices, it would be so good to see diverse farming practices you know where you're talking about putting nitrogen back into the soil naturally there's so many plants that do that naturally i didn't know the acacias did it you know obviously different beans and yeah so, so there really is um nature has a lot of answers for a lot of the problems that we face with monoculture you know and, and it is going back to that biodiversity I, like i've even heard a lot of modern science and once once again it sounds a little hippy dippy but talking about like trees communicating and that sort of thing like with you with know the fungi and the fungi and that sort of thing yeah. in the soil and mycelium and yeah. like do you guys do like have a bit of knowledge and you do you think of, contemplate that sort of stuff when you're planting out yeah and, well, I mean, as a biologist, definitely, it's it's not hippy-dippy at all. It's completely real and it's amazing. I think that it's one of the main reasons why diversity is so important in plantings and why a lot of monocrops fail in, you know, in plantations. But, yeah, that's why we, we sort of, we like to see that diversity of fungi and it's, it's pretty exciting. And, you you know, you if you don't have, if you aren't pairing the right soils with the right trees and and those kind of interactions aren't happening, then you're not going to have a healthy set of trees. So it's so important. Yeah, there's an awesome uh, podcast with Paul Stamets. Have you have you heard yeah, his stuff? The yeah. mycologist and yeah, yeah, insane. yeah. And it just shows as well. You know, humans think that we know everything, but we really don't. And I think that's it's pretty eye-opening um, to you know hear about these new advances in science and the ways that, you know, trees are communicating and it's amazing. It's pretty wild, isn't it? Yeah, because yeah, we've had areas of the plantation where they just weren't growing and didn't understand what was going on and then we um, got all sorts of experts in to come and have a look at various things and it was with the Queensland maples and yeah, it came down to a, a mycorrhizae soil fungi issue and it was probably from the overuse of uh, glyphosate and weed killing in the past uh, no from probably from my management because in the past I used to use a lot more uh, glyphosate because out on where we are at Topaz we get four and a half metres of rainfall so grass growth is really mm-hmm. challenging and on the scale we do it like you can't hand weed tried some other natural chemicals that haven't worked you know sufficiently so we still do use glyphosate today but yeah as soon as something better comes along, I'll be changing. 
got, yeah. yeah, we've really reduced our chemical application. So what about uh, like mixing your, like getting animals in? Is that a, another method of managing that, like with your grasses or is that... Well, that's pretty challenging. Other problems because then you've got like your animals are eating. Yeah, the animals yeah. eat the trees. They eat everything. The trees <laughs> yeah. Over and, yeah, so you so. got to wait for your trees to get a bit bigger, and then you don't have the grass anymore. Is that, yeah, is that kind of the? So and that's the issue. Like once the trees get big enough that you could have cattle in there to keep the grass down, then they're already out of the grass. So it's not really yeah okay an yeah. issue, and they still rub against trees and. Um, yeah, so it's kind of... <laughs> and they have a lot of methane output. They're very emissions intense. Yeah, trampling the, the, yeah. the ground and everything like yeah. that as well. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, and that's where, like, it is, especially with, you know, large-scale farming, you know, it is challenging to stay on top of your weeds and animals eating your crops and, and things like that. Like, we have a big challenge with the grass, but... Yeah, we found that by reducing the chemical application that we can still grow the trees and still get good growth rates. And So it's just find that sort of balance. Yeah. And always keeping an open mind to, to looking and, and trying to find answers and opportunities and trying to improve things. Yeah, well, I used to like to keep the plantation sort of all neat and tidy and that's why I probably sprayed too much, whereas then the trees stopped growing because without any sort of organic material on the top of the soil... The sun was baking the soil and then breaking down the, the um, fungi in the soil. And yeah, so there's huge ramifications for you know little little things that you do and that might only might be in a couple of years' time. Your action will um, you'll learn the impact of your action. And what about like planting a ground cover or like a bean or a peanut or something to like throw the nitrogen back into the soil and be able to cover the cover the area and stop it. Is that then pulling nutrient out of the ground as well and competing with, with I guess the plant? Like because you know our, our primary focus is rainforest mm. revegetation, we're just really conscious of introducing any other, you know, external species, species that aren't yeah. Native, mm. Um, mm. because you know your your end goal is to have you know a habitat that matches the one that it's next to. Yeah. Um, so you've got to be careful with that sort of stuff. But, but yeah, we have dried like peanut because peanut's not very invasive. Mm. Um, but the grass out competed. It? Yeah, it'll just it'll just smash it. Yeah. yeah, the pigs also love the peanuts as well. Okay. Oh, you guys got oh, like the wild pigs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, do you guys hunt them or anything? Or oh, we try to at the moment. We've got a trapping program, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, those because they they sort of obviously devastate mm-hmm. the whole of the outback of Australia. Is yeah. sort of yeah. heavily affected. It's hard to get rid of them. Like mm-hmm. we. If we see them, we shoot them, but that that just sort of moves them on, mm. makes it someone else's problem. Mm. But yeah, they they love the rainforest and they love the the plantings, but and they just devastate everything. Hey, like, yeah, they just leave no root unturned. Yeah, just eat everything and yeah, and yeah. Well, I guess we've spoken a little bit about the farm and and about your your, your sort of methods. So. Tell me, how did you get into into actually sort of furniture building and that sort of thing and doing the resin type tables? Is it was that something like an organic kind of development, or is that something you've been doing from from way back when? Or how did you sort of get into that sort of aspect of it? Uh, well, I like making stuff out of out of timber. That's what kind of got me into milling and things like that. But sort of only in recent times where I've had time to 
get into that, and it's probably come from a customer demand. So people have been requesting? Yeah, because um, like we focus on wholesale timbers, mm -hmm. but then I've sort of played around with you know, making furniture and then doing epoxy stuff and people see it and they ask about it and yeah, then that workload just keeps increasing as well. So, <laughs> but yeah, you kind of get, you've got to get on top of one thing, train up staff, be able to do it and, you know, learn what systems work and then you, you find the next challenge and you start again and you keep building that up and get some more staff to help you with that and so yeah, it's a, it's a never-ending learning curve, and but it's good fun. It's awesome. And so, um, best you've been on the farm for ten years. So, um, where did you guys meet? And sort of, obviously, you guys share a, a, an obvious passion for what you guys are doing. So, yeah. where did it all start for you guys? Um, well, our parents are actually friends, so we've known each other since we were really small. Oh, that's um, cute. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cute. Um, but yeah, no, we've been together for ten years now. Yeah, but, yeah, I don't know, we, mum said it's, she joked and she said, you think that you want this, but this is an arranged marriage, <laughs> but it's not really. Oh, that's classic. He's all right. Um, yeah, so that's how we met, but, yeah, we, yeah, it's been 10 years now, which is pretty crazy, long time, yeah. So you guys met, like, when, when you were, like, little, little children, like, your parents have been friends for... Yeah, we actually met, the first time we met, um... I, I was inside my mum's stomach and we were up in, they were up in Kakadu and Will would have been about six months old so yeah that's that's how we met <laughs> yeah that's that's pretty wild yeah yeah, yeah. it's like uh it's meant to be yeah maybe <laughs> oh that's yeah. cool yeah. And so you guys, have, you've been on the farm for, for how long? Are you guys somewhere else before here? Or? Yeah, yeah, we've so been up here for about four years. So we were at uni in um, Wollongong, and, um, but when you're at uni you get heaps of holidays, which is really nice, we really miss them now, um, but we spend all our holidays up here, so it works out to be about three months a year. Um, so we were just up here whenever we could be. So. As soon as we finished uni, we knew that we wanted to move up and, um, you know, start the business properly. And, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So, um, Wollongong. So, we did you get into my surfing down there, coming from Kakadu and? Yeah. yeah well, after being in Darwin, it was pretty nice to get down to some surf beaches and yep. learn to surf. Yeah. That's pretty challenging, but it's yeah, fun. especially Wollongong, get some solid swell down there too. It's probably a uh, pretty heavy place to um yeah. to learn. It's the one thing that we miss the most mm -hmm. about living in front of Queensland is Okay, well yeah, I'll, I'll when we when the podcast turns off I'll tell you about a couple of secret spots that I know that aren't too far from here. Ooh. That are um some nice little secret kind of okay. barrier reef oh, yeah. surf locations. Wow, yeah, that I can, sounds good. I can disclose to you off, yeah. off the uh, off the podcast. So yeah, yeah just good. remind me before I head off, and yeah. I'll um, update yeah. you on that. Yeah, <laughs> sounds good. Yeah, so uh, that's cool. And so, um, where do you guys sort of see from here? Like, you've you've obviously got the really from like plantation all the way through to sort of doing the resin furniture, and it's really almost like from the from planting all the way through to like retail wholesale. So, I mean, where do you guys see, like, your, your business developing to over the next 10 years? 
I suppose, we're, yeah, our focus is probably on the wholesale side of it. And then, yeah, we'll do more furniture making. But the main uh, focus is to get probably more people growing trees and then we can... Um, there's more plantations then to harvest from and more more trees growing on farms and things. And, and so do you see that, like, the way of achieving that is to be leasing land and, and planting out or, or more so promoting other farmers to do that um, kind of sustainable practices and, and how would they go about doing that? Yeah, well, if we can demonstrate to them that, you know, it's possible to make money out of growing the trees, then they can grow them and, you know, we can harvest them for them and sell the timber for them and... You know, if we know where it's from and that it's all done sustainably, and you know, then everyone benefits because you know we've grown a brand and a company out of out of doing that, and we've already done all the hard yards in in establishing that. So then they can tap into that network. And are you are you getting interest in other people sort of coming on board and planting trees and that sort of thing? Is that something that yeah, like that we've you had engagement with? We've had you know some of the oh, I don't know they quite conservative farmers that are you know that at first they're like oh what are you bloody hippies doing planting trees and now they're like oh shit you've been doing it for a while and you're doing quite well like maybe should i fence this little area off and plant some trees what do you think and so yeah maybe that is a good idea and you know so like just the proof of concept i think that's really important like would you say like that you know planting out fence lines and that sort of thing is a good sort of method for people that are looking to still sort of run, run yeah, gals not... and run adjustments and that sort of thing and sort of have like a bit of a, a dual sort yeah. of shared scenario in, yeah. in those situations. And the, the other thing is, um, you know, we're looking at a, we're living in a, we're looking at a future where we have a completely changed climate and there's going to be, or there already is a lot of other um, developing industries around planting trees like planting for carbon, planting for ecosystem services, those things are only going to increase more and more and they'll add more and more value to people having you know, more reasons to plant trees. So um, we're really interested in that aspect of it too. And what about like environmental sort of, because obviously trees help with soil erosion and that sort of thing as well. Yeah. So is that sort of something else that obviously you were saying about planting trees near creeks and that sort of thing? Yeah, um, yeah and that will stop a lot of erosion and but other things like on, it'll also stop the soil drying out as much. So in a paddock, if you've got sort of around your fence lines or perimeters or rows of trees in it every now and again to break it up so that there is some shading that, like last year, that was a very dry year and you drive around and what see the paddocks that have a boundary of trees and all the grass near them is all green. Whereas if it was just bare paddocks, they get scorched. Just, just and there's, scorched. There's obviously a, a, a barren land it's getting nothing like obviously with your, your trees dropping leaves it's actually putting foliage and it's putting it's creating soil essentially as opposed to just washing it off or, or yeah. removing it as well yeah it creates some organic matter and but i think it's that soil moisture thing is so important you know then you, you know if you do want to run cattle then that will help with your moisture content for the grass to grow and and yeah, I think I often think about like sustainable meat sources too. Like I think a lot more about, I don't know, like kangaroo and, and that sort of meat. Obviously we're seeing that more now in like Coles and Woolworths and people are kind of tapping into that. And yeah. To me, it seems like a more sustainable kind of 
source of meat. Like, I don't know enough about it to, to say that it definitely is, but it just seems like it makes more sense to be looking at, okay, well, what are some other alternative sort of sources as opposed to running cattle? Yeah, well, it's crazy. Animals that, that are native animals, you know? Yeah, it's crazy we don't farm kangaroos in, in Australia. Like, all the kangaroo meat, I quite like kangaroo meat, but a lot of that is, it is wild shot. But in Denmark and in America, there's big kangaroo farms. Overseas, there's big emu farms. There's all these Australian meats <laughs> that are farmed overseas, and we we don't do it here. It's like we're... It's kind of weird, hey? Yeah. It's sort of like a very backwards, like there's a lot of opportunity that, that seems to be to make sense in the sustainable kind of realm of utilising native animals, flora and fauna yeah. to, to the advantage of of the economy and to Australia and to actually have like a unique a unique kind of thing that we can promote and we're still back using you know, fucking cattle and sheep from like <laughs> Yeah, we're, you know, we're from so hundred it's like an ancient this ancient sort of fucking silly idea, you know, that we've that, you know. And I think that's probably our convict settlement is you know we're very boring what cotton meat that we do grow you know like poultry pork and sheep and cattle and then you know it's sort of like we introduced carp and trout because we wanted to have fish to catch here and it's like we've got way better fish to catch than mm. carp or can't even eat carp like <laughs> shit and tilapia and there's so many shit species that have come in yeah and, and what about I, I'm seeing like Obviously, we just came back from the USA, so there's a huge movement towards... Um, I mean, obviously, the Tablelands used to be renowned for, for tobacco. Yeah. It was, it was a lot of the, the plantations up here were tobacco, and the Australian government kind of slowly whittled, whittled that away and, and removed a lot of the licensing for up here. And over in um, the States, CBD um, and a lot of your hemp oils and that are, are starting to just go gangbusters, yeah. you know, like uh, medical marijuana and that sort of thing. It just seems like there's such fertile soil up here that like hemp production would be a, a really good thing up yeah. here as well. Obviously, hemp is a fast-growing fibre that's super yeah. functionable for, for textiles and you know, t-shirts, clothing, yeah. rope. There's just so many things that it's, yeah. the seeds are edible. It's very, very highly functional yeah. plant as well. And it, it seems like, yeah. you know, the Tablelands would be a great place for I that think, as well. Um, is that something you guys are looking at or, or well, is there opportunities yeah, arising for that? Or? Um, I mean, it's not something that we're, we've looked into, but I know that from my understanding, there was some patients going ahead on the tablelands. Um, yeah, I think for the medical marijuana. Yeah, and, and hemp as well, just general hemp. I saw on the news the other day our state member was promoting it, um, mm. which would be great, you know, to see some new crops coming. Yeah, because even um, I was watching, a, I don't know, might have been on, um, I forget what program it was, but that over in WA, they designed this machine for like turning. Um, hemp fibre into like building blocks and yeah and like it's really great for insulation and just the yeah. amount of once again you know nature has a lot of the answers for um a lot of our woes you know this really fast growing thing that we just sort of turned our back on yeah. 100 years ago that's like now having all of these sort of medicinal yeah. sort of benefits and benefits for um kids with epilepsy and autism yeah. and and in anti-inflammatory yeah. and so it's this this amazing plant that sort of is just not being used to its full function and even with making surfboards you know there's there's hemp fiber for 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 making surfboards it just seems like a 
a plant that we should be really jumping on and getting the ball rolling yeah. on. I mean, China's been used, like they're the only country really that's been using hemp throughout the last sort of decades and seems like a really good plant too. Mm. Yeah, especially yeah. Yeah, to get away from some of the synthetic fibres that we've become so accustomed to. Or even, you know, cotton is mm. such a, a water-dense... Yeah. Yeah, it just needs a lot of water. And obviously in a dry country like Australia, it just seems to make sense, sort of lean more towards, you know, those more sustainable practices. Yeah. So... Yeah. But, um... Mm-hmm. Cool, guys. Well, is there anything else... If I'm a, a young person, I'm looking <laughs> to sort of get a... to start a business or get something cracking, is there any kind of advice that you can sort of give people of my listeners or our listeners I have some practical advice Mm. some practical current advice Um, if you live in Queensland there's this great program called back to work program that means that small businesses can get a subsidy for hiring people under the age of 25 who've been unemployed Um, it's been so fantastic for us and we've used the program to get our first staff members on and it gives you that confidence because you're getting um, a rebate from the the government and you're also giving someone an opportunity who hasn't had an opportunity. Um, And that's just been a really great program for us. So I just tell everyone I can about it um, because, yeah, it's such a great program. And I know that other states probably have have similar ones, but the one in Queensland right now is just so good. Yeah, you get, I think, $20,000 for... um, for a full-time um, person and fifteen thousand for a part-time, um, just for, just for one year. But you know, for a small business, it just gives you that confidence to, you know, have a chunk of their wage that you can know that you're going to be able to build your business on from there. So, That's awesome. I'll I'll yeah. put a link up in the bio anyway for that, so mm. people can sort of be able to link up and yeah. suss that out. But I think as well, like it's. Um, when you start out in small business, it is really hard and you just have to keep pushing. And it gets, they say, you know, it can take, it takes on average three years. And we can really attest to that. Like for three years, we really just kicked shit and we were like, why are we doing this? <laughs> and then finally, you're, you're established, like you have, you get more customers and you're like, oh, wow, this is amazing. So just really being persistent and knowing what you want and really being persistent with it, yeah. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is probably just if you want to do something, get out there and do it. Like it's it's not going to be easy, but you've just got to take action and, you know, pursue your dreams as, as lame as that may sound. It is the reality and, yeah, don't expect it to be easy. Like there are plenty <laughs> of days... You know, like it can be, you know, we were talking about Instagram before and you look at all these businesses or artisans and craft people and yeah, you probably even look at our Instagram and think, oh, wow, that's all easy and it looks all great. But, yeah, there's plenty of hard work behind the scenes and it's not always fun. Like you might be doing something you love, but it's not always going to be something you love every day. Like <laughs> there's plenty of days that you're like, what am I doing this for? But it's just perseverance and you've got to get get through it. Like it's going to be, yeah, you sort of think, oh, I'll make, make money in the first year or the first six months or whatever, but it's just you've got to create credibility and trust. Like that's the, and that's just time. Like if you've only had a business open for a week, 
you know, as now being a businessman and thinking about, oh, am I going to give that person 10 grand to do this job? Like, that's such a high risk. And, um, but if you've been around for two years or three years or four years or 20 years, then you know that, well, they're probably not going to run away with my money overnight. And that is where your business will start to grow. Like, you've got to, yeah, make sure you're delivering good quality stuff, don't compromise. And, yeah, don't expect it to take off overnight and have a bit of fun along the way as well. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. And, yeah. yeah, putting in the time, hey, like, they say, like, if you want to be a good guitarist, whatever, a surfer, it's like 10 hours and hours, you know, you really got to put in the time and there's no, there's no sort of segue or to get around that, you yeah. know, you really got to put in the time and the effort and um, yeah. if you're passionate about it and you love what you're doing, it just makes it easier. Yeah. Because if you get stuck, sometimes you get stuck on those days and you go, oh my God, like, it's so it's so hectic. I got no money coming in. Da 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 da. Just like taking this big risk, I'm sort of out yeah. on a limb. But if you love what you're doing, and that's kind of the passion or the driving force that can kind of keep the ball rolling on things and sort of keep you going and and, and keep you um keep you focused on yeah. on your goal. You know, yeah. that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, and just be confident as well. Um, you know, it's hard. It's easy to feel like you're an imposter when you're starting out. Um, but no one knows what they're doing. <laughs> you just gotta, you just gotta keep trying and you know, um, give it a go. Yeah, just give it a go. Yeah, good on you guys. Thank you yeah. so much for your time. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, um, thank you for your time. Yeah, no, cool. And um, just one other thing, I guess, um, just with the social media, how can um, listeners find you guys? Yeah, so our Instagram handle is at Topaz Sustainable Timbers, um, and our Facebook is the same. Um, so hit us up there. We also have Snapchat, but we're not using it much, but we should use it more. <laughs> cool. And I'll, you can um, go to I'll our website up. as well, yeah. www.topazsustainabletimbers.com.au, and you can see some of the products we have there, and you can buy some timber through that as well. Um, but, yeah, there's – look on the Instagram, you'll see more timber and – yeah, if there's particular pieces you want or if you've got a project in mind, send us an email. And Yeah, that's really cool. I saw you guys every now and then you do like a bit of a sale as well and you sort of mm-hmm. get people, which I think is awesome too, so people can come in and see yeah. the timber and, and it's... Yeah, well, people love to feel it and touch yeah, it. And it's awesome. Yeah, I think that's great. Keep up with good work, guys, and thank you so much for your time. Cheers. Yeah, same to you. All right, thank you.